Who is God? What does the Bible mean? Why am I lying? What is God's will? I want to understand. Reconnect. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Reconnect, the official podcast of Shinchanji, or in English, New Heaven, New Earth. And once again, you're here with Ray and I'm here with you. And how are you? How have you been? How's your day? How's your week? How's your month? How's your year so far? Hopefully all those things have been going well. And hopefully by the end of today's episode, you have a little bit of that light that comes from the word that inspires you to really want to dive into the Bible and learn more about God's heart and his plan throughout the rest of your week. And to help you with that, if you're new to Reconnect, you know, this is kind of what we do. (laughs) But yes, to help you with that, um, we have a brand new episode today. It's a bit of an extension from our previous topic. So if if you haven't listened to it, you know, by all means, you know, feel free to to go back and, and, and take the time now to go do that before diving into today's episode. But To give you a little bit of a review, uh, one thing that we established over the past few episodes, we've been talking a lot about the new year and new year's resolutions as well. And when we really look at the Bible, we can see that God is moving forward towards his goal. And we need to change in order to move with him. For example, when Noah appeared in the midst of Adam's generation, he told people who had been living according to the traditions of their forefathers to get on this big boat, right? (laughs) People must have thought he was crazy. I mean, he did this for 100 years. From our perspective, we know that things didn't go so well for those who didn't get on that ark. But for those at that time, those living at that time, the new idea of getting on the ark must have seemed absurd. Why? Because it flew in the face of their established culture and tradition. After all, weren't they doing exactly what God had told their ancestor Adam to do? Weren't they filling the earth and multiplying, working the land for their food? In their eyes, who was this Noah person anyway? Well, Noah was a person speaking on behalf of God. And when people rejected him, they were effectively rejecting God's plan. The result was, sadly for them, that they rendered themselves obsolete. Hmm. This is an idea expressed uh, quite neatly in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. This might be news to some of us. God's covenants, once broken, become obsolete. And a new covenant must be made with people whom God chooses. Why? Well, it's because as we have already seen, God's goal remains the same throughout Scripture. He is moving forward towards a point at which he will be able to once again dwell with and within his creation. This means he needs to help us, his creation, whom he so dearly loves, to position ourselves in a way as to be able to receive him when he carries out his ultimate plan of getting rid of the corrupting influence of his enemy, Satan, the devil, who worked through the serpent way back in the Garden of Eden. Remember those two verses I keep returning to whenever I mention the importance of history in the Bible? I hope by now they are written on your minds and hearts. And But, you know, in case you've forgotten, I'm going to remind you. See if you can remember them. One of them talks about how history is given to us in the scriptures as a sign and a warning. So we can avoid falling into the same mistakes that people in the past have made. 
you remember where it is? I'm sure you do, right? <laughs> I'm talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Let's read it again. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now, let's go on a bit and read verse 12 too, because I think it's really important for us since we are spending so much time talking about the Bible and surely we're, we're good, right? Let's see. Verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. <laughs> this really should be a wake-up call, right? Wouldn't it be really awful if our faith became a tradition for us like it did for the people in the past? But this is not the only verse we talk about in this context, no. The other verse tells us that history is also written to give us hope. Now, before we read that verse, I just want to mention again that by looking at how people acted in the past, we might tend to focus on their actions and the results of their actions. The people in Adam's generation messed up by not listening to Noah, and they were judged terribly. How is that supposed to give us hope? You see, the hope doesn't come from people's actions. The hope we can gain from these accounts of history comes from God's actions not from those of the people. For example, we know that God saw that Adam's generation had become corrupted and that they had betrayed their covenant. And so God chose a man named Noah through whom to speak. Through Noah, God offered a way out of that corruption and a step towards his end goal of liberating all creation from its slavery to corruption and decay. People just have to find Noah. Reading that account, we can have hope. That when corruption seeps in, God will move forward because, again, God is always moving forward towards his goal. And he will make a way for us to move with him if we are prepared and put our faith in him. Of course, the verse I'm referring to here is Romans chapter 15, verse 4. So before we dive into our main topic for today, let's read it together. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, remembering this, let's take a moment to put this episode in context. How are your New Year's resolutions going? Been to the gym recently? You're still eating all your vegetables at kale, yeah? <laughs> now, if you're anything like me, well, some, you might have noticed that some stuff has started to slip. And that's okay, that's okay. I, thought, <laughs> I think we're kind of used to this pattern. But I thought it would be a great time to remind ourselves of how important it is to make sure that while we might let our physical New Year's resolution slip without too much trouble, we should be sure to keep on our spiritual toes and avoid the slips that people have made in the past. So let's take a look at some examples of how people miss the boat, so to speak, in the history of God's work and, more importantly, what we can do to avoid following in their footsteps. Let's start by revisiting the reason for all this. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, God made Adam in his image and put him in charge of his special garden, Eden. But we know how that story goes, right? There was a spirit who was described in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 who was jealous of God's power and somehow thought 
that he would be able to become God. In Ezekiel, this spirit is described as a guardian cherub. He was just an angel, a being whom God had created. Obviously, to become God, he would have to somehow steal everything that belonged to God and put himself in charge of it all. So, he appeared to Eve in the garden and deceived both her and then Adam. Now, because God had placed Adam in a position of authority over everything he had created, when Adam and Eve decided to follow the words of the serpent rather than the words of God, something changed. The people who had been created in God's image and likeness were no longer able to be connected to their creator, their source of life. And that being, we now call Satan, or the devil, came into a position of authority over God's creation. As a side note, that is how Satan was able to tempt Jesus many generations later in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. He offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would just bow down and worship him. Of course, Jesus would never have been tempted by an empty promise. So we can understand from this passage and from Jesus' response that Satan actually had the authority to offer these things to Jesus at that time. Now, God, as we have mentioned before, is always moving forward towards his goal. And his goal is to do away with the spirit that betrayed him and caused the corruption of his creation so that he can once again, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, be all in all. Basically, so that he can be reconnected to us and his creation. And that's why, after Adam's generation broke their covenant with God, according to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7, God chose a man named Noah. Now, after God saved the people who chose to believe in and follow his word through Noah, God made a new covenant with Noah. It was a new beginning. But soon, Noah's son Ham and grandson Canaan went ahead and did the same thing that the serpent did in Eden. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 9, and although the details are not given, the result is the same. As a result of the actions of Ham and Canaan, Noah's nakedness was exposed just as Adam's had been. Now, we don't have time enough to go into detail about this right now, but if you're curious about what this means in a greater context of the Bible, we have a free study group you can join, which will help put all this into context and also help you avoid falling into a similar situation in your own life of faith. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you'd be interested in joining a one-on-one -on -one or group Bible study. I'd love to help you get connected. Okay, anyway... It wasn't long after this event that Noah's generation somehow got it into their heads to build a tower that would reach up to heaven. But take a moment to notice something here. Genesis chapter 11 describes the story of the Tower of Babel, an event in which people who had, through Noah, inherited a covenant with God, a generation who essentially should have begun with a clean slate after the betrayal and corruption of Adam's generation. But here they are trying to build a tower to reach above the heavens. Doesn't this sound a lot like what happened in Isaiah chapter 14? Okay, for those unfamiliar, uh, let's go ahead and read Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. Here we go. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 
but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Notice how this parallels the thoughts in the hearts of the people in Genesis 11, where they say in verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. These people should already have had a name. (laughs) They should not have even considered the possibility of being scattered. Deuteronomy 28 clearly says that obedience to God results in not being scattered, while disobedience results in being scattered in several directions. By understanding these principles, we must recognize the people of Noah's generation had not been able to carry through with their New Year's resolution. Despite having started off so well by being obedient to God's word and, as a result, being protected from God's judgment as he fought to regain his creation through the flood. Like our well-intentioned beginnings of the year, they, too, kind of let things slide. To the point where God chose Abraham and promised to establish a new line of people through his descendants. Of course, we all know that story. <laughs> God made Abraham promises in Genesis chapter 12 and 15. Then over the course of a few hundred years, he fulfilled those promises, resulting in a new covenant with Moses and the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The details of this covenant are recorded in the Bible far more extensively But it's important that we take a look at one verse that makes the conditions of that covenant very clear. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6, God tells Moses, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Make no mistake. The people at that time start out so well. Just like each of us in the beginning, they're going strong. When they hear the terms of the covenant, the whole lot of them respond. We will do everything the Lord has said in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8. But by the time we get to the period of the prophets, God speaks to a prophet named Hosea and comparing the people of Israel to Adam a story they knew well because it was part of the scripture that God gave to Moses on the mountain while they were in the wilderness, God says that they had broken their covenant with him just like Adam did. Again, despite beginning so well, they ended up letting things slip and corruption crept in. So God promised to make a new covenant. Now, God did this through people called prophets. There were people to whom God revealed his plans before he fulfilled them. We spoke about this a bit last time, but I hope you're immediately thinking of Amos 3.7, where it says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. God did this so that people would be able to recognize when and where this new covenant would be made. He even said that he would give the people a sign pointing to the place where this new covenant could be found. The sign was Jesus. Take a look at Isaiah 7.14 and Jeremiah 31 verses 20 to 21. In both of these passages, Isaiah 7.14 and Jeremiah 31 verses 20 to 21, God promises his people a sign. A sign points to something, right? But what is it pointing to? In both of these cases, the sign is Jesus and work of fulfillment that he did. And the sign is pointing to the place where the new covenant can be found. That is 
in the words of Jesus. It is really important to recognize that there is a definite beginning again here, something new, a new covenant to replace the old one that had been broken again. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 tells us that when God promises a new covenant, he is showing a difference between the old and the new. In Hebrews 8.13, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Now, when Jesus told us about this new covenant, he made it clear that it is waiting for a time in which it will be fulfilled. When he came at the first covenant, he told us about it. But the covenant would only truly come into its full effect when he drinks the wine again with us in his father's kingdom. I'm paraphrasing here from the Last Supper in Matthew uh, chapter 26 from verses 27 to 29. Repeatedly, he spoke to his disciples in John 14 to 16 about how this first coming is not the end of the story, or in fact, his work. He spoke about going to prepare a place and sending a counselor to speak on his behalf. Most importantly, Through the work of the first coming, the way was made open for all people to become a part of this new covenant. We can see through the New Testament how the good news about Jesus' first coming spread throughout the known world. And now, in our own time, how the concept of Christianity has become foundational to many countries and cultures across the world. But let's not forget the warnings from history. Where was it that the serpent was working hardest to deceive God's people? outside of Eden or within it? Where did the spirit that sought to raise itself above God work in the time of Noah? It was within Noah's own family and the effects were devastating. Where did that same spirit work to corrupt the covenant God made with Moses and the Israelites? It was within God's people. Why? Because God's enemy, the devil, wants nothing more than to be called God. He wants sincere believers like you and me to honestly mistake him for the creator. And judging by the performance of people in the past, he seems pretty good at pulling the wool over our eyes. So, how can we avoid falling into that same trap? Well, the good news is that being aware of this pattern in the first place is the first step in protecting ourselves and guarding our hearts against falling into that same trap. For the first time in human history, people like us, people who are seeking God and pursuing a relationship with him, have access to something like the Bible. In the past, the time of Noah or Moses or even the people at that time of the first coming, people didn't have personal access to God's word. No. Everything they knew about the scriptures was through other people. And the transmission of God's word was connected to, you guessed it, tradition. Today, however, most of us have access to at least one translation of the Bible. No matter what language we speak, we can study God's word for ourselves. That's awesome. A while ago, we were talking about the different translations of the Bible and which one I use. But I want to give you a hot take here. (laughs) Ready? It doesn't really matter. Our God is alive and well, and his word is synonymous with his spirit. 
In the very first chapters of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12 in particular, God promises that he watches over his word, waiting to perform, fulfill, or complete it. Now we know that in the past, people have often had a hard time moving forward with God when he does actually fulfill his word. So then for us to put our 1 Corinthians 10, 11 into practice, remember, this is the verse that tells us that history has given us as a warning. Just, just a little bit of reference. So in order for us to put this into practice, we need to know the prophecies for ourselves. This is key. Since we know that God watches over his word, preserving it until it's fulfilled, according to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, then this is a point Jesus reiterated when he said in Matthew chapter 5, 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And we can take to heart what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And let's take a look at that real quick. Okay. Verse 19, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. According to the promise of Jesus at the beginning of John 9, while he was in the world, he was the light of the world. He said that a night was coming in which no one would be able to work. At that time, it was really difficult to work at night because they didn't have electricity. <laughs> There was just not enough light by which to work. And in that darkness, just like in physical night, we can rely on the stars for guidance. Peter tells us that the promises of God, the words of the prophets are there, shining in dark places until the day dawns once again. That is, until God's word is once again revealed and fulfilled on the earth. That's a really powerful hope for us. And it is also attested to by history. When the world went dark in Adam's generation, God sent his word and the opportunity for salvation to, the, to those people through Noah. When Noah's world went dark, God chose a line of Abraham through which to establish a world priesthood on the earth, through which he intended to heal all the corruption caused by Satan. When Moses' generation fell to the same corrupting influences, he sent Jesus to point the way to the new covenant he would establish. And then Jesus told us about how that new covenant would be fulfilled when, according to John chapter 14, he returns to take us to the place he has prepared for us, the kingdom of God. In this way, history not only serves as a warning for us, but also as a source of hope. Just like in Romans 15, 4 tells us, but these things are nice to listen to, well, especially in a podcast like this one. <laughs> It's encouraging to hear about these things, but the thing is, we need to know them for ourselves. These truths need to be written on our own hearts so that we can use them every day in our own lives of faith. PSA time. <laughs> if you would like to know more, if you would like to be able to relate to God's word like uh, sailors and history related to the night sky, knowing each star's position being able to navigate the unknown depths of the ocean by them, then I urge you to reach out to us here at Reconnect. I know I've said that many times before, but it's true. This is very important. We have study groups and one-on-one -on -one groups, both offline and online all over the world. We would be happy to help you in any way we can. 
Well, if you enjoyed today's episode and really felt like you got something from it, by all means, please share it with other people. We love to have other people be introduced to Reconnect for the very first time. And as always, <laughs> you know, be sure to like and subscribe as well. And if you have questions, feel free to, to send us an email. I love reading your messages. It is something I enjoy in between episodes. So please continue to do so if you have anything on your mind or any questions as well. And uh, yeah, I've been Ray and you've been listening to Reconnect. We'll see you all next time. Have a good one.